Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Following On County Cricketer. I'm John Norman from Talk Sport. Alongside me, uh, former uh, winner of the County Championship, Double Ashes winner, of course, Steve Harmison, and the Cricketer Magazine's uh, George DeBell. Uh, looking back at four brilliant and uh, quite painful, actually, quarterfinals in the T20 Blast. Uh, we're going to be looking at the winners. I'm going to be moaning about one of the losers. Uh, and we're going to be looking forward to finals day, which uh, takes place this weekend, uh, which doesn't feel right at all. But there you go. Uh, we're also going to be looking at the, the performance of Richard Gleeson in the T20 series between England and India. Three wickets in his first eight balls in international cricket. And what a three they were, too. Uh, so uh, a little bit about him and his backstory. We're going to be answering all your questions as well. The ones that we didn't get round to doing uh, last time out and uh, generally just having a bit of a county uh, cricket to chat with a, a fresh round of games taking place this week and next week as well. So, thanks for listening. This is Following On County Cricketer. OK, guys, well, uh, lovely to see you. George, uh, first up, maybe you could tell uh, the viewers or the listeners what exactly happened at Edgbaston for your quarterfinal because it took place at the same time as England were playing a T20. So, uh I don't even know who won, what happened, um, so I doubt the listeners do either. Tell us, tell us what happened. Oh, it was a nail-biter. <laughs> it really wasn't. It was a really good pitch. It was the same pitch used for the um, India International a couple of days later. And uh, Hampshire scored 170-ish. And I didn't think that was enough, to be honest. Uh, but they bowled out Warwickshire and won by 100. So, um, or the best part of uh, and they they looked very very good. I should say Birmingham, shouldn't I? So I suppose if you if you bat as Birmingham have this year, you always have the possibility you're going to have a day like that. They have one against Yorkshire as well. And uh, Hampshire's attack was good. It had a bit of bite, and um, they took early wickets. You know, you take wickets in the power play. It's very difficult to recover, isn't it? Uh, Hampshire looked like a very strong side, and they were the ones who progressed. Yeah, Hampshire started poorly, didn't they, in the T20? But uh, I've got stronger and stronger as the uh, tournament pro- progressed. Uh, and also, what was it, 10,000 there? 40, 48 hours notice, 10,000 at Edgbaston. Uh, Surrey would have had the same amount of time to uh, sell their tickets, even less maybe. They had yep. the best part of, I, I don't know the exact figure. 14,000. Was it 14? 14. 
Well, look, considering yeah. Surrey cleared 20,000 when they've got a bit of a lead up to a game quite comfortably, I think 14,000 for a tournament that, you know, people are trying to tell us doesn't matter quite as much. You know, credit where credit's due. Harmy, you know, from uh, there was no Durham participating this week, but anything catch your eye from the four matches that took place? I thought, the, oh, I thought all the, the games were, were, were sort of, there was some good high skill level in, in each of the games. When you, when you look at it, what George mentioned about Hampshire, Hampshire are the look of really good side. And we've said many times, and we actually said on this programme that when Surrey got eight wins or nine wins in a row, this is dangerous time because they drop off. The team that finishes fourth comes through and the momentum into the into the, the sort of knockout stages could be so valuable. And I think we've seen that with Hampshire. I thought the Surrey-Yorkshire game was a, a very, very good game. But I thought the Lancashire game was, was, a, was a belter as well. I didn't see the, the Somerset-Derbyshire game, but the scores look ridiculous. I think this competition is still alive. Mentioned 48 hours notice. Lancashire had a massive crowd as well, and that looked a picture at, at the Emirates Old Trafford. So I think all in all, when you look at some of the skill level that was on show, you know Croft, Croft got a, a magnificent, you know old guard, magnificent 76 off. What did he get off? 48 balls. It was a good game, but I felt for your boys. I really did, John. I felt for them. I was willing Goffey on, and I was willing the lads on. I thought Will Fran made a. a, a a great contribution at the end of the first innings, which just took the game, I think, into into Yorkshire's favour. But I thought they were shaking hands with after 14 overs. I thought they were ready to shake hands. The Brown Hatters were in the final. But no, I thought Jordan Thompson bowled a great last over. Yorkshire got there. Well, look, this is the thing with cricket, OK? You know, I think I speak for all of us when we say that our favourite for- format is, is Test Cricket. Um, it's the format of the game that I suppose I'm the most interested in, uh, but then it goes on longest. So it would be a bit weird if it wasn't like that, I suppose. But if I'm being honest, as a Surrey fan, and I've been watching Surrey since about 1984, my favourite moments as a Surrey fan have been watching limited overs cricket. You know, whether it was Wacko Eunice taking on Kirtley Ambrose, Surrey against North Ants in the semi-final of the B&H Cup all those years ago, you know, sitting in the crowd, or whether it was watching T20 stuff, you know, Tim Murta running around the outfield with his top off after that bowl off against Warwickshire, or Azam Mahmood smashing three fours from the last three balls of the match to win a game for Surrey, or, or Ali Brown against Glamorgan, or even that ridiculous game where Surrey were like 220 for one against Lancashire, chasing 240, and they, they were bowled out and they lost. You know, these are the games that, as much as I've loved watching Surrey in county championship cricket, you know, I go to the county championship and I, I just kind of sit there and, of course, you see great passages of play, but essentially you're not there for all four days and you soak it up and you're just taking, you know, just, you're just relaxing watching some cricket. When it comes to exciting, you know, ends of games, it's limited over stuff. And sometimes the thing that stays with you isn't the glory, it's the pain. And that was, I would say, the most painful moment I think I've ever experienced as a Surrey fan. It was exquisitely painful. I mean, it was up there or down there. With I, I honestly can't think of a worse moment. I mean, it was pretty painful last year, you know. Gareth Batty playing in his final tournament the year before Surrey had got to the final. This was going to be his, his final season as a pro. And essentially, 
Surrey would have qualified if not for Hampshire chasing down 120 in about five overs or something and completely warping the run rate to such a degree. Surrey failed to qualify by 0.005% or something stupid. But this, oh my days. And, and see, this is the thing. That... Harvey, do you feel as if we're giving counsel? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, we've got... <laughs> I've got a leather sofa here and you know, I've got well, spotlight I'll go on top of you in a minute. <laughs> and who are you talking to, by the way? You're talking to Harvey, <laughs> whose side were relegated for, for no reason at all. Exactly. And I've grown up a Somerset supporter. We were bottom every year throughout my childhood. Look, so, you know, look, Surrey re- supporter re- moaning. No, no, hang on, hang on. Surrey <laughs> have won one T20 tournament in 20 years and we've won one county championship in about the same amount of time. So... We've That's been... one more than Somerset have ever won. Well, look, right? look, I am a Fulham supporter and and we've been second and ha- more times yeah. and Fulham, than any county ever. And Fulham have never so. won the FA Cup and, you know, this is a point of sport. It's all relative. So I'm not asking for sympathy. There is an overarching point Good. that I'm about to make and it, and it is this. You know, when I sit back and I hear people say that they like the 100 because they like cricket, I think to myself, well, that, I'm sorry, is disingenuous. Let's move to one side, the huge benefits the game has brought to women's cricket. But essentially, by promoting one, you are detracting from another. I am a Surrey member, and I'm a Surrey member that now has to watch all his county cricket pretty much April, May. Actually, that works for me. George and I follow the test, uh, follow the international circuit. So actually, if four-day cricket was taking place more during the months that it should be, I'd actually miss most of it. So kind of works for me. But essentially, my season now is about T20 and the 50-over cup. 50-over cup now is, a, is just completely pointless. You know, it's been devalued. If you like cricket, and that's your reason for liking the 100, well, you are, you are promoting the 100 over the 50-over cup because Surrey will lose 12 players to the Oval Invincibles and to other teams around the country. As a member, I lose out. My team, Surrey, loses out. As a Newcastle season ticket holder, Harmy, you would not put up with paying your season ticket to go and watch Newcastle and then seeing 12 of your players playing for the, the North East, you know, Brigadoons in some European Super League. But that's what has been forced upon me as a Surrey member. And then we look at the T20 Blast, right? Now, this is a tournament which I've been really, really enjoying. I've been commentating on it on the Surrey broadcast on the internet. And essentially, we have dazzled. We've been absolutely brilliant. But essentially, we were forced into a situation where, no disrespect to Tom Curran, but Tom Curran, who is sat on the sidelines with a stress fracture, was batting at three for Surrey. We've lost our captain to England duty, because England aren't playing in August, so they've got to play now. We've lost our opening bat, Jason Roy. We've lost our two opening bowlers in Sam Curran and Reese Topley. Now, I know Yorkshire have lost players as well. They shouldn't have. They should also have had those players to call upon. But essentially, Surrey have lost one game by one run and essentially are out of the tournament. And me, as a Surrey fan, that's pretty much it now. It was exquisitely painful. I'm throwing my toys out of Pram, but there it is. I care about Surrey. And the fact that the Oval Invincibles might go on to win the 100 will not make up for what I went through this week. End of sermon. I think you, I th- I think you do make a valid point, to be fair. And it's, it is a shame. Most people would agree that it is a shame that uh, such a good competition has been diluted 
Uh, and and here we are just before finals day and we're not sure even if England players are going to be released I hope they are um, for for that uh, for the for, for finals day and it's a real shame that they weren't released for uh, quarterfinals or most of them weren't and that yeah tickets I think that to be fair they were 72 hours they were on sale uh, but you know tickets for the 100 went on sale in what November when you when you we look when we look at it and we say it's been devalued I actually think the creative community have rallied behind the the T the T twenty blast. The commu- the creative community have have tried to get to games and and you've seen the, the the crowds that were there. I think it was devalued because the players weren't allowed to play when they should have been allowed to play, and that especially in the quarterfinals. Would it have sold any more tickets? Probably not. I think a lot of cricket fans don't want the hundred. If we're really honest, a lot of county members don't want the hundred because of exactly what you've just pointed out to John and I think the blast we've I've actually enjoyed the blast being in one block bang it's done not waiting six weeks for finals day or a quarter final and finals day it's at, it's done it's out the way everybody's still in the sort of mindset of playing T20 cricket bosh get it get get the get the job done so I don't mind that I just think if England were a were more flexible where they could let their players come out and play in the big competition, the big game. When you see your big superstars play, then I think it would have been, obviously, I think it would have been a huge, huge success. But we've got different priorities now in this country. And the priorities now are for for entertainment. I don't even think it's proper cricket. It's entertainment. The 100 is entertainment. It's not proper cricket that anybody else plays around the world. We are we are coming out for for three and a half weeks, four weeks, to make money and entertain. It's like a pop concert. That for me is what the hundred is. And I think I actually think that the cricket community has really rallied behind the blast. And I think we've seen decent crowds. And I think more of a feel good factor. I know we've I've seen loads more social uh, social media interaction around about the hundred about uh, about the, the the blast rather than the hundred um, going to watch their side. So. I don't think you can pull the wool out over the eyes of a very, very good county members who love their county just because of the way I think you're not in the minority when you've just thrown all that off your chest. Well, uh, you know, I saw something that I found was really interesting. It was 2017. I was over in Brisbane ahead of the Ashes and um, it was uh, a media day. It was the day that Tim Payne was announced he was back in the side. Can you remember? Everybody was shocked that Tim Payne was in the squad. Tim Payne spoke to the press, Nathan Lyon, a couple of others, I can't quite remember. But essentially, the way they did it was that it was a big room, all these different camera crews all stationed around, and these players were rotated around, and it, was, it worked very well. But I'm standing there listening to the, uh, the Australian reporters, the TV guys and girls, just chatting between themselves. And I found it really interesting because... They were basically joking amongst themselves. I can't remember the exact broadcasters. I was getting a bit confused with Australian TV cricket uh, TV. But there was a Channel Nine crew and there was a Fox crew, and they were just going back and forth. Basically, very good natured. But essentially, Fox had the big bash, I think, and Channel Nine had the had the cricket, or the other way round. And they were basically poking fun at each other's coverage and saying, making jokes about which which tournament was better. And it was all very good-natured, blah, blah, blah. And I sat there and I thought, that's actually really interesting. I find it strange in this country that one broadcaster, and full transparency, of course, talks about don't have the right, so, you know, I'm about to have a bit of a warped opinion on this. But essentially, 
why should the sport have be monopolised by one broadcaster? It doesn't really make sense. From an ECB perspective, wouldn't you rather say, so essentially Sky, and they do a great job, we know that, looking like they might sign an extension to their deal, although from what I'm hearing, it's not quite as done a deal as, as maybe some have led to believe, but I, I bet it will be the case that they're going to continue for another three years. But from an ECB perspective, don't you think it would be better to sell, say, the big, uh, to sell the Blast to BT, if they're interested, or Channel 4, and the 100 to Sky? You have two rival broadcasters who basically have got an incentive to make their product the absolute best it can possibly be, to be better as a broadcast spectacle than the other tournament. If you were the ECB, wouldn't that be... I, I imagine that would, that would make more sense than the situation that we have now. So, so initially, Sky paid a premium for exclusivity. That, that, that's the key thing, I think. But they can still have exclusivity uh, of their tournament. Yeah, but, but it's... Uh, and when the new tournament was brought in, they had first refusal, didn't they? And the 100 was given to... Uh, the BBC, in part, um, well, they paid for it, obviously, uh, but th- th- there was a free-to-air element of it. And the-, the relationship with Sky and the relationship between Tom Harrison and Sky was such that they were able to find a way through that. So I can understand how it's happened, but the point you make, again, about the cannibalisation of the game is is very valid. And it is absurd that we have a situation where both broadcasters and governing body seem to want to demean the Vitality Blast, so that the 100 is given every opportunity to be seen to be successful. And uh, they, haven't, they haven't judged the uh, attendance numbers the same for the Blast and the 100. So, you know, we know that uh, a lot of individuals uh, involved in both organisations, and the BBC as well, actually, ha- have staked their personal reputations on the success of the 100. And they're going to try and make sure that it is a success and, and, and you know something you said earlier I, I kind of enjoy the hundred I got I like cricket John I, I really do I, I don't think there's a conflict between going to a game and enjoying that and understanding the long-term negative effects that has elsewhere in the game and I, I hope I've made that point again and again and again uh, equally I, I don't think there's anything that's been achieved with the hundred which couldn't have been achieved with the vitality blast you know you could have had Double headers. Of course, you could have had T Twenty double headers on the same day. And that, remember, wasn't some sort of genius tactic from the ECB. Uh, originally, they meant to have them at different grounds. It was because of the pandemic and COVID protocols that they changed their mind. So that could have happened easily enough. T uh, Twenty could have been put on free to air. I, I know I'm biased, but I still think that if you just show some cricket on free to air TV, people will fall in love with it because it's the greatest of bloody games. Uh, so that that's why I will always remain uh, confident and optimistic about the future of the sport. You know, it, it, if, if you put these tests that we've watched in recent weeks on TV, I, I honestly think they'd have found a new audience. Maybe not quite as quickly as T20 or the 100, but there's not a big difference between T20 and the 100 once you're in the ground. So, so I don't, you know, I don't, I, I, the point being that there was exclusivity in the agreement, coming back to the original point. Uh, and that's why you've reached this situation. But it is absurd that you now have a situation where there is very little attempt to market uh, the blast. Uh, and that's what, you know, I agree with Harmy as well. I think traditional cricket lovers have rallied to its support. Whether that's enough, I don't know, because we're always after this mythical new market. 
and and when you've got games, you know, I wrote about this on the day of the quarter final at Edgbaston, so if people want to read it, do. But I, I'm pretty positive that the schedule that Surrey had this year, the fixture list they had, was designed to ensure that they couldn't be as successful as previous years, because I think their success has embarrassed the ECB, because it's shown that all the investment and all the noise made about the hundred was unnecessary. And just one thing quickly on, on, on those quarterfinals. I thought, you know, I'm a Somerset supporter. I love Somerset. Uh, Riley Russo oh. has proved one of the great signings of the season. Yeah. I thought he was an underwhelming signing. <laughs> <laughs> He's proved that wrong. He's been absolutely outstanding. On a level, though, I was still a bit sorry the way that Derbyshire capitulated. I think Mickey Arthur and team have done really good things there. They've taken a club that was, you know, you were looking for signs of life. And they got to the quarterfinals, and they got to the... You know, Nottinghamshire didn't. And look at their squad. Uh, so they deserve a lot of respect uh, for that. And I hope that an awful day, let's be honest, they had an awful, awful game, uh, doesn't completely derail it. I think they just need more experience. It looked like they kind of lost it on the big occasion. Uh, maybe that's wrong. You know, I'm not close enough to have a, a really knowledgeable opinion. But that's what it looked as if it happened. And I, so I hope it doesn't derail because there's something really good going on there and uh, all power to them. Uh, George, can I ask you quickly about Leicestershire because they were docked two points and they actually would have played Surrey rather than Yorkshire. Thoughts on that, uh, that punishment? I mean, as it stands, Leicestershire have been docked more points than Yorkshire this year. Yeah, a lot of people have uh, got in touch with me about that and asked me to sort of get involved. And I haven't. Because I, I, there's only so many hours in my day, and I'm sorry because I know it's important, and and I'm not close enough to it to give you a strong opinion. All I would say is this: they do have a track record of being penalised for relatively poor behaviour of their players. They were on a final warning; that is a factor. You know, they probably have to reflect on that. Would it have happened to a bigger club? Is my issue. Would it have happened to Yorkshire, to Surrey, or? Yorkshire or Warwickshire or Lancashire, basically. I don't know the answer. I don't have an issue with it being done before the game. Uh, I thought, if you're going to do it, do it then, so people aren't supporting something under false pretenses. But it completely knocked the wind out of their sails again. Was it good for the game in general? doesn't feel it, does it? Uh, so I have a lot of sympathy, but you know, I'm sure if they're honest, they would reflect that they are partially to blame. The issue about Yorkshire, I'm getting a bit tired of trying to defend the ECB process here because it's taken too damn long. But the point is that Yorkshire have only just been charged. So that process is complete. They will be punished. There's, there's no doubt about that. They will be punished. Whether it's going to be enough, whether it's proportionate for, for the extent of the... You know, they're not going to be punished any more than Durham were for something that seems to me a lot more minor. You know, so so people who, in Leicestershire who feel aggrieved, they have a point. But people who are saying that Yorkshire have got away with it. And I, I just want one more thing on the Yorkshire thing. If you, the test match had been taken away from Yorkshire, there is a very, very good chance that club would have gone into administration. And if that had happened, the ownership of the club probably would have reverted entirely to Colin Graves because he is the biggest creditor. I don't think that would have been good for the sport without going into a lot more details because I'll get another series of tremendously friendly letters. But you you know where I'm coming from. And and, and so I thought they they are walking a very long and narrow path here, the ECB. 
but at some stage they've got to do something and you, you know there's been a lot of apologies and a lot of admissions of guilt at Yorkshire but they haven't actually been punished at all and that doesn't sit right and I can understand how Leicester supporters are very unhappy about it but on a level as well I am sitting on the fence here you know you do have to control players you do have to ensure that standards of uh, behaviour on the pitch are okay but did did they behave worse than we see well let's let's be honest Virat Kohli who, who quite often or, or in the past Stuart Broad or Jimmy Anderson it does seem that it's a lot easier to crush the little guy and less sure the little guy so pretty uncomfortable about it but I can't have a really strong opinion because I haven't had a chance to completely get to grips with it is that is that a reasonable answer the Yorkshire the Yorkshire, the Yorkshire one for me it's the timing of it just get it done and get whatever that's going to come next out the way because while it hangs over, it hangs over. You see a Yorkshire haven't been punished and the people see a Yorkshire haven't been punished and yeah, they're going to get punished but individuals are, individuals have been charged as well and they've, they're in limbo as well. Somebody who I'm, obviously I've got, I love to bits because he was my captain and I feel strongly on him. If Michael's done wrong, then then he he would get he'd get punished if there's proof if there's proof there I'm not going to stick up for because I don't know what he said she said or whatever but at the end of the day I see somebody who I'm very very close to have to not give his opinion on cricket which he has done for a lot of years and he do, he does it very very well if he's done wrong then the the system will 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 take its right path but I feel frustrated because one of my best friends and somebody who I've got a huge amount of respect for because of the way he captained my team. And if it wasn't for Michael, a lot of us wouldn't have sort of had the, the sort of the, the team environment career path that we had. And I just got frustrated the other week when he got took off the airways. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'm not. I'm not defending anything that's been been done or been said. But at this minute in time, Yorkshire are going about their business. Individuals are going about their business. But I'm not listening to Michael Vaughan, who is one of the best broadcasters going. I, I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable point, Harmy. I, I think that it is in everyone's interest, including Azim Rafiq's, by the way, to, to to get this to get this resolved. And uh, if people have to, um, yeah, if people to either clear their names or begin the process of penance, for want of a better word. So, uh, yeah, I actually am completely in agreement with that. It's dragged on too long. The the ECB process, you know, I don't, uh, and the PCA process, it hasn't really been fit for purpose. It really hasn't worked, and and that, that's actually why I don't feel I've been able to do anything with Leicestershire because that whole issue has taken over my life. You could not exaggerate how many phone calls I've taken from people who have worked in the game, reporting to me their experiences of being uh, discriminated against basically on the grounds of race. Now, most of them don't want to go public. Uh, some do, but most don't. They just want someone to listen to them. And the game has completely failed them. Uh, and, and a ridiculous situation where a bloody cricket journalist is fielding these calls utterly unable to help in most ways, completely unqualified to, to, to deal with the level of trauma that uh, they, are, they have experienced. It is a nonsense situation. And the ECB have... Uh, well, well, it's been just about five years since uh, Adil and Azim first reported their concerns. Five years. And the only thing that's ever made any difference is embarrassing the game into moving. 
So it, it's been a hell of a mess. And, uh, you know, Harmy and I probably don't agree on every detail of this issue, but on what he's just said there, I'm with him all the way. Pe- people are innocent until guilty. I mean, there was a Squire Patton Boggs report that did uphold some uh, cases, of course, complaints. But basically, people are innocent until guilty, and they deserve a right for this not to be hanging over them. And the people who have complained deserve the right to have those complaints and those hearings held. So they've got to get the hell on with it. And the delays, whether they're fearful of the consequences or whether they haven't ploughed enough resource into it, they've got to do it. And yet they're able to very, very quickly come down hard on Leicestershire. So that's why it leaves a bit of a a, a funny taste, doesn't it? That's, yeah, I I couldn't say a lot more. Okay, well, I think that brings us neatly to the end of this uh, section of the show. Got plenty of questions that have come in, uh, so let's get on to them in the mailbag. The mailbag. Okay, guys, uh, well, let's get started with some of these questions. Uh, Well, actually, uh, credit where credit's due, exclusively revealed in April, Dom Sibley has moved back to Surrey, or (laughs) is about to, at the end of the season. I mean, maybe he, he should have made the move already. He probably would have batted at three ahead of Tom Curran, who, by the way, actually batted really well. Dom Sibley has obviously gone back to Surrey, says Rainsborough, 1648. Is there a way back for him uh, with England? Seems his approach is at odds with the Stokes McCullum regime. George? Yeah, there's a way back. I think, um, I think Somerset were also after him, by the way. And I think that uh, Somerset will today or so but before this podcast comes out, I hope, I uh, have announced the signing of Andrew Mead, the former Warwickshire player who was playing for SACA, the South Southampton Cricket Academy. So he's their second graduate to be signed oh, by First brilliant. Class County. I want to do a little bit more really? on that uh, on the show. OK, yeah. So tell us a little what, bit. What, now? Now or another time? Uh, no. I, well, you can you can talk about it now. Maybe the viewers well, and listeners aren't, thing. aren't completely okay. yeah, sure, what it is. I mean, we all hear about the Asian... So the South Asian... But what's... uh, Okay, just just quickly then. The South Asian Cricket Academy was set up following the research of Tom Brown, a PhD student at Birmingham City University. And he uh, did a study on the number of people of South... or identify uh, from South Asian backgrounds playing recreational cricket, which makes up about just over 30% of the number of people playing cricket in the country... And the reason so few of them get through to professional level. And I think there's an over-representation at all levels up to professional teams. So he, he wanted to look into that. He then got a grant from Birmingham uh, City University, which is only £50,000, by the way, and set up this scheme where he is trying to enable people who maybe slip through the net, for want of a better word, to have a second chance. So there are some cultural issues. There are some dietary issues. There are possibly some... Um, discriminatory issues and he's trying to find a way um, to get through that and establish a system whereby there's more equality of opportunity. One of the things that most impressed me about Tom Brown when I first met him was that I was reading his scheme and it jumped out on me. It is designed to be obsolete within about five years. So this is not a fellow who's setting himself up for a job for life, which so many of these things do. This is a guy who's saying, no, no, if we do this and it becomes part of the main fabric of domestic cricket, there'll be no need for this. So he's tried to make himself obsolete. And I've got nothing but respect for him. He's absolutely passionate about it. And um, 
How many people will end up signing this year? I don't know, but I'd be surprised if it's not half a dozen. Now, that's half a dozen potentially life-changing opportunities. And the most recent of these is Andrew Amid, who will go into the Somerset top order or go into a fight for a place immediately. I think they've signed him. I think, they, I think he signed yesterday. And um, he is potentially just what they need. You know, they've got a, a, a fantastically fun batty lineup, but maybe they need a bit of um, solidity. And takes me back to your question about Tom Sibley. Ben Stokes has had played a couple of his very, very best test innings with uh, Dom Sibley providing the foundations. Uh, there was one at Old Trafford and the one at Cape Town. And now at Cape Town in particular, uh, uh, Sibley, I think, made his maiden test century. It's a good innings. And uh, I, think, I think Ben Stokes, when he received the Player of the Match award, insisted that Dom Sibley share it with him. I don't know if that rings any bells. So I think Dom Sibley and Ben Stokes have a relationship and a mutual respect and while they, while he doesn't naturally seem the sort of player, he, he doesn't have to be the Dom Sibley we last saw. Dom Sibley could keep developing himself as a player. We know he has aspirations as a T20 player. We know he, he's played quite a lot of T20 cricket. He is a much better player than the one who last played for England. Uh, but to be fair, he was a much better player when he first played for England. His game declined. I think that England like what they're seeing from Alex Lees. And I think what Alex Lees has shown is what Dom Sibley could show, you know, ever more positivity, a de desire to develop and improve. And obviously they like Zach Crawley, whose last test innings I thought was very good. So I'm not saying there's an immediate way back, but I don't think the door is necessarily shut forever on Dom Sibley. He's, uh, I think he's popular. I think he's hardworking. I think it's possible, you know, England have been bailed out by miracles, really, four tests in a row. And it's been a lot of fun, and you wouldn't want to take anything away from that. But have they found a template for success long-term? I'm still not sure. I still think, because I'm a very dour, boring man, <laughs> that you probably need a bit of solidity, and that actually a good game is built on defence. Uh, and I still think that there could be a role for people like Tom Sibley and Rory Burns, uh, and others. Uh, Sam Robson is another. You know, they, those guys could still find a way back. I don't think the door's shut on him, not quite. Uh, Harmy, your thoughts on Sibley, and also this from Stevie Wint1. Why does Billings get in the test side when he doesn't keep for Kent in Red Bull cricket? Keepers like Michael Burgess or John Simpson deserve a chance ahead of Billings. Kent bias from Rob Key. <laughs> Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I struggled with the, the, the Billings one. Um, I think I think if Zach hadn't played the sort of the, the innings he played in the second innings at Edgebaston, I think Sibley would have played in the first Test match against South Africa. I think he would have been. I think he would have been brought back in. McCullum's already said this week he don't like baseball. I must admit, I don't like that term either. Um, I think all they've done is the the mentality of the group has been freed up. A lot of contributing factors of that, one largely being COVID so they can get about a bit and they can act like human beings again. And I think because of that, they look as though they've got the world off their shoulders. England players look as though they're so relaxed. They've got the world off their shoulders and freedom of expression. I think that is what I've seen in the four test matches so far. And I think Sibley could fit into that no problem. Be the best Dom Sibley he possibly can be. And he'll fit into that group. Not a problem whatsoever. You know, Lees, Lees has got a defensive game in the first innings 
and he's got more more an expansive game in the second innings. I can see Sibley playing it like that if need be when he comes back in, and he will come back in. The Billings one, yeah, I thought they had a chance. And there's a lot. There's been a lot of talk about the sort of selectors and selecting panels and how they're going. I don't think they need selectors at this minute in time. I think they're going. They're going very, very good. They've got a, a big enough pool of players over the course of red and white ball to understand that they're the ones that can. They're the ones that can do the job. I don't think it'll be until the winter, until they start picking other squads for other trips, development squads, and everything that the pathway through. I think they can buy themselves some time. The one person I would have picked this week possibly would have been Burgess over over Billings. For the simple fact, Burgess has done the right thing, which is score runs in county cricket. I don't know enough of him, whether he's good enough, whether he if he has the game to play a test match cricket, but his numbers were stacking up, and I thought that he's only going to play once. Whoever was coming in is only playing once, because you know, come next week, or come six weeks' time, f- folks will be back in. Folks will be fit, he'll be firing, he'll be back into the group. Going back to Billings, and the only reason he played the first time was he was he was the only person with, a, with an English passport 900 miles away from a test match venue with a pair of gloves that could catch the ball. He got a game. It, does that say he's the next cab off the rank? I'm not so sure. Um, he doesn't even keep for Kent. Don't play first class cricket. I think that's I think that's just not the not the credibility of a selection model, but it just asks questions to say. How have you get into how have you get into that point? Are you just saying basically, I don't care because there's one coming round the corner. Mo and Ali's coming round the corner. When people say, Well, he's not even playing for Warwickshire, he's just signed a white ball contract. These coach this this new management team will go, I'm not bothered if he plays four day cricket. I'm gonna pick him because he's Mo and Ali and he's a good player. Does that sit well with players that are playing and trying to make themselves an England player by playing red ball cricket? I'm not so sure. I think Sam got a wee bit lucky as well. I mean, he did actually drop Virat Kohli. Uh, and, and Joe Root, uh, thankfully, caught the, the rebound. You know, that's a, <laughs> potentially a big moment in the game. So, uh, uh, look, why did they pick him? I, I kind of get it. I think they figured that he already knew about the environment and that he wasn't going to be overawed. Well, that, that's not ridiculous. And they also didn't want to start a new narrative about Johnny keeping, or, or or even Joss. So Johnny had Johnny Bairstow or Joss Butler kept, uh, immediately I think Ben Folks is looking over his shoulders. He knows that Sam Billings is coming in as a one-off. Sam Billings knows that he's coming in as a one-off. Maybe, had they picked anyone else like Burgess, who's doing terrifically this season, he, it would have been asking a lot for him to come in, get to know the environment... Uh, and also then be jettisoned. So the the question is very, very fair. Was it the right or wrong? I don't know. There's a grey area there that I, I hopefully I've just sort of explained a little bit. You know, Sam was seen as a bit expendable and he also knows everyone and could fit into the environment comfortably very quickly. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. 
Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Race to Australia. I want to just ask a quick question about Richard Gleeson, Harmy, just to give us uh, your thoughts. And I think a lot of people know the story in its basic form. Made his first class debut at 27 on the fringes of an England call up. Was it last year, year before? Then he suffered quite a serious stress fracture. Um, and then, of course, made his debut against India in that first T20 or second T20 uh, and bowled particularly well. And again in the third one as well. But from an out-and-out bowler perspective, Harmy, I know Goffey was very complimentary before the game, saying of all the bowlers he'd seen on the circuit this year, he thought Gleeson was the one that was absolutely ready to step up. So it proved. Yeah, we got that. He wasn't going to be overawed by the occasion, even though it's India. Um, and obviously it's England, played in front of big crowds and handled the pressure, bowling at the death. His skill sets were very, very good. Um, his pace was what surprised me. He was, he was touching 90 mile an hour. And when you are, it's not drinking at the sort of last chance saloon bar, but when you, you, you're at a point in your life, in your career, where you've got such a, I think, a freshness in a way that, well, this is my one big chance. I'm not going to get another one. I'm going to enjoy it. And it looked as though that was exactly what his, his mentality was, was. It's not a case I'm not going to miss this chance. It's I'm going to enjoy this chance. Because sometimes you can get to that point and you can actually miss the chance by being too nervous, not exactly expressing yourself in the way that you had done for, for your county. I thought he did brilliantly. I thought he did. I thought he, he used the new ball very, very well, or the new world ball, the harder ball, very, very well. And we've seen for, that, for Lancashire that his death bowling is, is up there with anybody in, in world cricket hitting the white line and, and bowling Yorkers and he's, he's change up. So... You know, for somebody who is 34 year old getting a chance to play for England, I think it's brilliant. Where does it go? It's interesting. Does he go to the? Has he put his hat in the ring for the World Cup? I actually think he has, because I think there's a few fluffed their lines. I think there's a few bowlers who have been on show over the course of England's sort of last 10 T20 nationals, who have been given a chance because the likes of Archer and Wood and a few others, Saki Mahmood. He fluffed his lines in the West Indies. And I think there's a few who have fluffed their lines. Gleeson didn't. He was given that one big chance. He's played in two games. And I think he comes in, back into the squad against South Africa. And if he does well there, he goes on the plane to Pakistan. And he's got a chance of going to the World Cup. And I'm chuffed to bits for him. Because somebody who, with that sort of mentality, who has worked so hard, not, not just on the field to get himself in a position to play but had to do the hard jobs off the field. I mean, and I'm not saying go to the gym or that. Yeah, he's, he's tried everything. He's been a factory worker. He's, 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 lived, he's lived a life that some of these young guys that play cricket for England 
wouldn't even dream of understanding what sort of life you know the general public go through sometimes and then there's a few of them with the silver spoons in the mouth and have just been told from the age of 15 you are the best cricketer you are the best cricketer you are the best cricketer well sometimes coming left field where you have had to do manual jobs you've had to work really really hard to put food on the table you know, sometimes they're the best mentality of players when it comes to later on, and they appreciate it more. And I think that's, for me, the beauty about what Richard Gleeson's done. And I think he's got a chance of a World Cup spot if he does well against South Africa. Just on that, I, I, he's, he's an example too of the benefits of uh, an eighteen-county system because he got his opportunity with North Hants before going to Lancashire, and he is uh, there is a case I think for not playing him in any more internationals ahead of the World Cup. Now, I know that's a risk, but I think we've seen enough, and I think that his slightly unorthodox uh, style is an asset, and it might be... He didn't seem to have masses... Correct me if I'm wrong, Harmy. He didn't seem to have masses of variation. Uh, Maybe you don't need it, but he's got a super Yorker. He's got decent pace. That slightly odd action... I don't know whether he's doing it on purpose or not. He angles the ball in, sort of skids it into the batter, mainly. But the one to Virat left him a bit, or at least held its own. Now, maybe if uh, international sides see more of him, they will have an opportunity to work him out. So I wonder if you... Do you remember um, Kuldeep Yadav? The first few times he played against England, he made mincemeat of them. But actually, they they got loads and loads of uh, left arm wrist spinners into the nets. They realised that he could play him off the back foot as well. Uh, they just saw more of him, and he stopped being a force, really, or, or to the same extent. And I wonder if it might be the same with Gleeson, and bearing in mind the age he is, if there's a case for keeping him a bit of a hidden weapon. I, I, maybe that's naive, because there's so much footage out there already, but the footage isn't quite the same as facing people. So, I, I don't know, just a thought. What do you think about that, Harmy? Yeah, look, I think you've got to protect the body as well. With the minute we've got we've got an asset that's working. Well, we've got we've got so many prize assets that's not working. And I'm thinking, if Archer's fit, if Woods fit, Ollie Stone is fit, and then you look at some of the other options, the left arm options with Reese Topley and whether Sam Curran, then all of a sudden Gleeson gets further further down the pecking order. But these aren't fit; they're out of the equation. I agree. I think when you when you look at what he's got, it's his execution for me. He's got he's not got sort of a huge array of, of slow ball tricks, but his execution's brilliant. He hits length hard when he's got the, the newer ball, and when he bowls a Yorker, he bowls a Yorker. It's not sort of missed. He's not a yard out either side where a batsman can get underneath him. He nails it. And to, do you protect him? I think you possibly could do, but I think. He needs to play as well. I think he needs to understand the environment. He goes and plays in front of 60,000 in at the Adelaide Oval or 80,000, 90,000 at Melbourne um, against India in a quarter-final, semi-final. I still think he needs some exposure. So Pakistan could be the exposure. But I, first of all, I think we've got to congratulate the lad for the way he's gone about his career, not giving up, not giving in, and getting his chance to play for England. And when he got there, boy, did he! Not only did he enjoy it, he did very, very well as well. So good, good on him for that, and well done, Richard Gleeson. Good stuff, guys. We're going to have to wrap it up. Um, thanks so much for your time. I enjoyed that cricket chat. 
Uh, and we'll be back next week as well. We'll be looking back at all the county championship games, which are Monday to Thursday this week. Thanks so much for watching and listening to Following On County Cricketer. Well, that's it for another edition of Following On. Thanks uh, for listening. And if you ever have any ideas for guests or have questions for uh, the likes of Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, feel free to tweet me at Fulham John or via at cricket underscore TS. And uh, either I or one of the team will make sure that your questions are read out uh, on the show at the earliest convenience. Also, please take the time to leave a review. And if you're already a subscriber, then tell your mates to do the same. And if you want more content from the likes of Steve Harmison, then head over to his YouTube channel and tell him I sent you. Thanks for listening to Following On. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.